0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Tim Ryan, an associate pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Well, good morning. How are we? Good, good, good. My name is Tim Ryan. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Last weekend, Pastor Chris said that I would be correcting the heresies that I gave you on January 1st, 2017, on my first part of Jonah, I was trying to think of a comeback. It's not working so well. <laughs> the only thing I can come up with is Pff! its the best I got. So, well, we'll get into Jonah and see, see what happens. Chris isn't here, and Pastor Ray just walked out, so I'm, I've got free game here, so, so I'm, I'm good. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning that we can be together here to worship you, to honor you, to be with you, Jesus. Thank you. And thank you for camp. God, I, I can't help but think back uh, when I met you at camp so many years ago, and I thank you for using the camp that I went to back in BC where you met me there. And, and for many of us here, I know, uh, met you at camp. And so thank you. And we pray now towards this next week of another week at camp, God, we pray that you will continue to work and move in in each of the campers that come and the leaders and the staff. God, thank you. Bless them. Protect them. Guide them. And so we thank you for all that you're doing this summer at camp. So now, God, we we give you this time as we look into your word. We ask that you would help us to, to understand, help us to look into it, help us to apply. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so earlier this year, January 1st, I shared a message that I really, really enjoyed sharing about Jonah and the big fish. But it really wasn't about the big fish at all. And many many of you will remember the story, but I'm going to briefly tell it for those of you who may forget or maybe you're not familiar with the story of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet that God got a hold of and said, Now, I want you to go from here. I want you to go over to Nineveh, and I want you to preach the message. I'm bringing judgment. Get over there. He said, no, I'm not going. He goes the opposite direction, goes down to Joppa, jumps on a ship to go to Tarshish. Can you say Tarshish? That is such a weird word, Tarshish. So he goes there figure i'm going to go away from god <laughs> as if you can get away from god god flings a powerful storm and the sailors are beside themselves these guys are experienced sailors they know what they do so they're starting to throw off cargo trying to lighten the ship but nothing's working it's getting worse where's jonah he's down inside the ship sleeping and all these sailors are just crying out to their small G gods, like, help us, do something. The captain runs down, grabs Jonah and says, what are you doing? Get up here and pray to your God. By the way, who are you? Where'd you come from? And he goes, well, I'm actually a prophet and I'm trying to run away from God. And, and the scripture says, like, they, they groan, they go, why? What are, why are you doing, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? what do we do? Well, just throw me into the water and everything will go still. They didn't want to do that. They hung on longer and finally they had to. They just said, okay. So as they've got him up in their arms ready to chuck him over, they pray to Jonah's God and says, God, forgive us. Like, we we don't know what else to do. And they chuck him off into the water and immediately, Scripture says, immediately the water went still. There's Jonah just kind of Along in the water. Hey guys, I'm fine. Then, out of nowhere, you start to hear the Jaws theme. (laughs) 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 And a big, big fish comes and swallows him, takes him down for three days. And while he's in the belly of this fish, whale, whatever you want to call it, Jonah repents. And then God commands the fish to spit up, and I'm trying, to fish, human, was it a spit, was it a barf, what was it? But he comes up onto the beach, and God says to him again, get up and go. So he goes trudging along, okay, fine, you can tell as you read the rest of the book, he's just not impressed. He goes through the city, repent, judgment is coming, real convincing, I'm sure. And what happens is the whole city, right from the king all the way down, repents, changes, and God says, great, I don't have to, I don't have to bring judgment, they repented, excellent, I'm going to change my mind, I'm not going to do this anymore, and ticks Jonah off, just, he is mad. And that's kind of about where I left the message back in January, so I'm going to carry on with that message. Now, the key verse to the whole book, four chapters, is chapter 4, verse 2, where Jonah says, I know you, God. I know you. You're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. That's how he treated. That's how God treated the sailors in the ship. That's how he treated Jonah and the big fish. And how he treated the evil and wicked Ninevites. That's he's gracious and compassionate. That's who he is. And that's how he acts because that's who he is. Pastor Chris has been talking about King David over the last number of weeks. And King David wrote in Psalm 103, he says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him, that's the key, those who fear him, is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father, a good father. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we're gone as though we'd never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who who fear him. Amen. We explored Jonah's anger towards God for forgiving and relenting on following through on judgment that was deserved. So, what was Jonah's issue? What is going on? In my last message, I went into a few things that we can see in our lives and how unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, anger, and then hatred can lead us down a very dangerous path path. And I invite you to go back to that message. I believe it's still online on our website and listen to it. However, in this message, I want to zero in on one main issue. I want to go deeper here. Now, the problem is that at first glance, we usually dismiss that we would struggle with this at all. Or maybe we could nod our heads in emphatic agreement and go, yeah, that's me, all right. But when we look at Jonah, we would ask, what was he thinking? We must ask, was Jonah actually aware? Did he actually get it of what he was thinking and feeling? Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of Everlasting. Then we must ask ourselves the same question. It's about self-awareness. Are we self-aware? Do we really get it? Let me ask you. Did you notice the booger in your nose before someone told you? Were you self-aware? Did you notice the green stuff in your teeth before someone told you? Were you self aware? Did you know your zipper was down before someone told you? Are you self aware? You with me? When I officiate weddings, I always tell the guys at rehearsal, and then as we're about to walk out and get in front of everyone, I say to them, and they always laugh at me, I'm serious. I just say to them, fly check. Because the last thing you want to do is, guys, I don't want you stealing my show. I mean the couple's show. (laughs) Right? You don't want to be distracting here. It's about being self-aware. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. NIV says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The Living Bible paraphrase says, so be careful. If you're thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. I like what the message paraphrase says. Don't be so naive or self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Wow. So let's continue to tell the story, picking up from chapter 3, verse 10. And I invite you to to use your imagination as we engage. Let's picture in our minds, and let's see if we could identify with Jonah and see ourselves in him. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw that they, the Ninevites, had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and didn't carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans upset Noah, and he was very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. You see, some people think that Jonah left and went the other direction because he was afraid of Nineveh. No, that might have been a small factor. I would be. But he knew. He knew that God was going to change his mind. He didn't want to have any part about that. We'll talk about that a little bit into the message. And this this is the key verse. And Jonah says, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. I knew. I knew how easily you would cancel your plans for destroying these people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive. Because nothing I predicted is gonna happen. He's looking at himself and going, Well, I'm a prophet, and what I say should happen. It's not happening, forget it. This is useless. I'm a useless prophet. i just I'm just, just just kill me. That's what he's he's just going on and on and whining. And the Lord replied, and I think he was actually quite gentle and, and quiet about it. He says, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under and waited to see. Waited to see, just in case God changed his mind again. Waited to see if anything would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading them from the sun. I guess God realized that he wasn't very good at building shelters at all. This eased some of his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also prepared a worm, an itty-bitty worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it soon died and withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. And I'm thinking, Jonah, what are you doing there? Go home. Go home, Jonah. Your job is done. Go home. There's probably some air conditioning or something back home. What are you doing here? But God says to Jonah, I think gently again, is it right for you to be angry because a plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. That word retorted. He was just like, Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die. He's still singing that same song. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. And the plant is only at best short-lived, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Even God cared about The animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's where it ends. That's where the story ends in the Scripture. We we don't know what happened. Did Jonah get it? I, I, I don't know. Did something else? That's where it ends. I find it interesting. That's just, it leaves it hanging. Obviously, on purpose. God arranged he arranged a large, like a castor bean plant, better than his own self-built shade. A rapid-growing large plant that grew up to 12 feet high with very large branches and leaves. And I'm not sure, but maybe God gave it a little bit extra miracle-grow fertilizer, I'm not sure. But it grew up pretty fast and full, and it died just as fast by an itty-bitty worm. But God was, but Jonah was still angry. Notice that he was mad. Notice this. Notice that he was mad that the Ninevites didn't die, and he was mad that the shady plant did die. Do you see that? Notice. Notice that he was mad that the Ninevites didn't die, and he was mad that the shady plant did die. Again, he was displaying his obstinance and unreasonableness. Can you see his messed-up thinking? It came down to what really benefited him. He had no use for the people, but he had great use for the plant. He did not care about them. He did not feel sorry for them. There was no compassion in the midst of judgment coming. He actually wanted them dead. Can you see his hatred? He wanted them to burn in hell. He wanted to watch them burn. His unforgiveness morphed into hatred, which Jesus calls murder. How did he get this way? From my last message, I walked into that whole area of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, anger, and hatred. That's how it works. So let's pause here for a moment and just be a little bit reflective here. Are there people in your life and my life that you may have feelings and thoughts that you're holding against. Maybe, just maybe, there are people in your life that you would actually wish dead. Seems kind of harsh to maybe admit that, but is that in your mind? You may not wish them dead necessarily, but you wouldn't feel sorry for them at all in their troubles, be honest. Is there any contempt towards anyone? Contempt. Contempt is that seething, subtle, and slithering lack of care, a disrespect towards someone. You actually don't wish them any good, and you'd actually withhold good. You'd withhold blessings. Was Jonah personally aware of who he was and what he was thinking and feeling? Are we? Psalm 139 reminds us again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There is the deeper issue for Jonah that I want to expose in this message. These Ninevites were an enemy. These Ninevites were an enemy to him. That's why he wanted them dead, out of his life. He hated them they were an enemy. Now, how does a person become an enemy? How how does it get that way? John Paul Lederacht, an Anabaptist Mennonite expert in conflict and reconciliation, helps us understand this. Keep in mind that he has years of personal experience in conflicts and reconciliation between enemies as he has traveled to over 25 countries, over five continents, continents, working in many war-torn areas, helping factions reconcile and bring about peace. He knows what he's talking about. And there's three simple ways to make somebody into an enemy. It's not that difficult. The first one is to separate yourself from that person. Put a fair amount of distance between you and the other person. Now, a caveat here. There are some relationships that we might have where we actually must put, for our own safety, we must put distance. I'm not talking about that in this message. I'm talking about the people that were going, that unforgiveness and that bitterness and that resentment, and it becomes more into the, moving into the hatred that they're almost like an enemy. And what we do, the first step is, fine, just, just, just go there, just, just go away, just step back there. We straight arm them. Now, I want to say something about, about boundaries. And all due respect to the writers, the authors of the whole principle of boundaries, we teach it here, we, 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 we appreciate it. And I really appreciate Pastor Ray Yoder. About a year or two ago, he did a message on boundaries. And you he really helped me understand how boundaries work. And the idea of that I have my yard and the person that I'm having trouble with has their yard, and then I don't need to let them onto my yard. That's the idea. That's the principle of boundaries. And in some of our cases, some of the people that we work with, we, we have to be careful of how much they let, we let their stuff and what's ever going on in their lives onto our yard. We can go under their yard and help them, but we need to protect ourselves. That makes sense, right? The problem that I see what people do with boundaries is they go and they pick up part of their fence, they walk up to the other person and they bash that other person with their fence, and then they put it down. And then they stay in their yard. I see it over and over again. It's not like, I'm drawing a line, you're not going to hurt me anymore, you're not going to say those No, they then take that boundary and beat them with it. That is wrong. And that's what happens when, we're, when people are becoming enemies. We straight-arm them. We push them away. We bash them away. And then what happens is we go into the second step, which is then we see ourselves as superior. I am better than that other person. We, we proceed to put them down. We proceed to criticize them. We, we attack their character. We lift ourselves up and we cut them down. And then what we do is the third step is we dehumanize the person. We then continue to push them down and we don't even let them be human. They're less than human. Do you see how the progression works? And that's the only way we can have an enemy is we actually dehumanize them and we push them away. You've heard the word stupid. My grandkids always correct us. Can't use the word stupid. Don't we use the word stupid. Not a good word. Well, there are some things that are stupid, but people know. However, there is a show on Discovery Channel that my wife and I like to watch once in a while called The Science of Stupid. Have any of you ever seen it? It is absolutely hilarious. Now, what it is, it's a science, a little bit of a science show. They show these videos of all the people doing stupid things, really. And then they show the science behind of why it didn't work. Duh. Like, I wish I could show you a couple of clips. We won't, but if you can imagine in your mind, there's one that comes to my mind. There's a guy sitting in one of those plastic lawn chairs up on a roof, and he proceeds to jump with this chair onto the ground onto a plastic table. (laughs) That's stupid. (laughs) Like, really? Now, most of the time when we're watching the show, Judy and I are going, ow, and ooh, and oh, that's got to hurt. And sometimes we're pointing at the screen and going, you're stupid. <laughs> I mean, what you did was stupid. Now, that's, that's, one, that's, that's one thing. Okay, fine. But what happens in this whole thing is we actually, we actually go down deeper and we start, we start criticizing and attacking and assassinating our enemy's character. Sometimes we even do that with nameless people. You may remember the the time when a man threw a beer can at the Baltimore Oriole player during a Toronto Blue Jay game. And the attacks and the threats through social media were unbelievable. Last October 2016, during the seventh inning of the American League wildcard game between the Jays and the Baltimore Orioles at Rogers Centre in Toronto, A beer can flung from the stands nearly hit an Orioles outfielder in the middle of play. This this fielder was going up to catch the pop fly. Amazingly, he caught the pop fly. Didn't even notice the can that just missed him by a couple of feet. Sports commentators tend to embrace hyperbole. They tend to exaggerate. And they, they captioned it by the lob heard around the world. Within seconds... Of that can of Bud Light hitting the AstroTurf, social media erupted. People across North America tweeting and, and everything, including, including the horror novelist Stephen King. What does he care about Canadian baseball? Like, I, even he was getting into it. I go, really? The outrage was stoked by the fact, ooh, it was stoked by the fact that not only could the toss have seriously injured a player, that's bad enough, but it happened to be a crucial postseason game that had embarrassed Toronto, which already had a reputation as a hostile environment for opposing baseball teams. Emotions ran like a fever pitch that even the Toronto Sun announced a $1,000 reward for information and identification of the thrower. The breathless speculation and recrimination went on for a day and a half before the man finally turned himself into police and was charged with mischief. That single instance of reckless fan exuberance turned his life upside down. It led to a public humiliation, loss of employment. He lost his job out of this. had nothing to do with baseball, but he lost his job because of it. A nine-month court case and a temporary ban from every stadium in Major League Baseball. What was interesting to me was the public attack on this nameless man and the character assassination of someone they did not know. His friends and family, they held him accountable to do the right thing and turn himself in. The police took it seriously and they should, but others, they dehumanized him. Fascinating. That's what you see, what's going on. People just chuck things at people. There is a phrase, he who is without sin cast the first beer can. <laughs> right? Like, really? That's what we do. So, how do we reconcile, how do we change this? How do we reconcile with enemies? First step is look in the mirror. We gotta humble ourselves before God to know know where God extended grace to you and me. How did he give you and me another chance, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance? Look at the second chance God gave Jonah. We have all done stupid. King David and 1 Chronicles 17 said to God, what what more can I say about the way you, God, have honored me? You know what I am really like. It's that self-awareness. Brene Brown in her book, Daring Dare Greatly, says, we are hard on others because we're hard on ourselves. That's how judgment works. Yes, there is a right and wrong here on earth, always will be. But it's when we have that edge on our attitude, therein lies the problem. And sometimes we choose to refuse to remember our personal histories and where we come from, including our past sins and regrets. Remembering is healthy and pushes us to be humble, not to bring us down or to relive the guilt and shame, but to remember lest we forget. How's the phrase go? If we forget the, fa- the past, we are doomed to repeat it. Remembering our stories and past will keep us from judging others and help us towards humility. And may I suggest that if we happen to have an enemy, it is quite possibly more about us than them. So Lederach gives three further steps. Notice mutual humanity. See your enemy as actually human. Instead of dehumanizing them, humanize them. And there was a turning point in in Mr. Lederach's life when he was working in a particular country trying to bring some reconciliation between two different hostile groups. And he saw one of the leaders of the other other hostile group. And in his mind already, there he goes. There he goes, sat, you know, and all these thoughts start coming. He's, and he's a peacemaker, but he's, he's wrestling with these thoughts. Until all of a sudden he saw a little girl run towards him. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And he picked her up and hugged her, and then they walked off hand in hand, and all of a sudden it hit him. This man's a father. He's, he's human. Hmm. A couple of illustrations from from a couple of movies. Maybe some of you have watched some of the, the Bourne trilogy, Jason Bourne. And the story, it's a story, of course. And he's a trained government assassin. Just trained beyond. And he's about to kill a particular enemy, a particular target, face to face, until all of a sudden, as he's looking at this man, he realizes there's three of his kids around him. This man's kids are right there with him. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, he snapped out of it. And that's the rest of the story of how he changed and realized they're human. Lord of the Rings. Many of us have seen Lord of the Rings and you re- may remember Gollum. You know, Gollum, 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 Gollum. And Schmeagel, and, and Schmeagel. Remember? Okay, if you don't know... If you don't know the story, Smeagol is the hobbit that got entrapped by the ring and it changed him into Gollum. A kind of an ugly, cute kind of creature. Wouldn't you say? And, and, the, and the turmoil that was going on as Smeagol and, and, and Gollum tried to figure out who they were what they were doing. And Gollum is leading... Frodo and Sam with the ring up to destroy it on the mountain. He's leading them. He's the only one that knows how to get there. And Sam is always criticizing, always putting down, just beating them down every time. He's beating Gollum down every chance he can get. And finally Frodo had had enough and he looked at him and he goes, Sam, why are you doing that? Look at him. He was a hobbit just like us look at him. Open up your eyes. He's a hobbit. Open up our eyes. Our enemy is a human. This is a good time for us to pause and ask, what are our opinions of people in the world? We wouldn't necessarily see them as enemies, but what do you think of them in regards to their ethnic background or the nation they come from, or what religion they practice, or what level of poverty they live in, or what level of wealth they might live in. What addictions they're caught in, what great sins they have committed, what they look like, their color of skin, their disability. I'm not saying anything. I'm not trying to say anything political or social. I'm just saying, what do we think? How do we look at other people? I remember... As you you may remember, I grew up in southern BC and and often my grandmother would take take me downtown, shopping and stuff like that. And I remember, I was a little kid. You know how some of these memories just stick with you? And I'll never forget the time we were walking down the street and there was a man up against the storefront and looked really disheveled and was begging for money. And in my little childhood experience, I was just going to stop and talk to the man and my grandmother just grabbed my hand and said, get away, leave that man alone. Boy, one of those that just, I've never forgotten that. How do we look at other people? So we have to notice the humanity and then we have to notice self-reflection, to stop and think. What are we thinking in our minds? Or what are we feeling in our hearts? To be self-aware, what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell us but we're not listening? To be in touch with ourselves. Are we nervous? Are we scared when we're up against this person that makes us so angry? We're up against this person that makes us so fearful. This enemy, this person that we're trying to push away. What is actually going on inside? And then the third step is accompaniment or alongsideness. Then walking along with people with whom you're in conflict. I find it interesting. I find it interesting that... Jonah was asked by God to walk for three days through Nineveh. And he missed the point of seeing the people. It took him three days to get from one edge of the city to the other. And he was supposed to walk for three days looking at people. He missed it. Maybe you can't approach this person at which you're in conflict with. Maybe you can't talk to them. Maybe you can't walk alongside with them. But you could at least sit back and say, what do I know about this person? What do I recollect? What's going on? It's not an excuse. This is not about, well, and that's some of what's happening in our judicial system. Well, they had a bad background. Well, yeah, that's all fine, and we should have compassion, but they're still right and wrong. But just to understand and to see that our enemies are also made of dust, like we are, whom God desires to show mercy. Now, let's take a little bit of a time out here. Maybe you're here and you know that you and God are actually enemies. Now, when it comes to God, you can't be neutral. You just can't. You're either for Him or you're against Him. There's no middle road, it's just the way it is. And maybe you're here and God, you have actually made God out to be your enemy. He's your enemy. How, how'd you do that? How to get there? Well, first of all, you separated yourself from Him. You pushed God away. Maybe arm's length, maybe two arms' length. Maybe you told Him to go away forever, but you distanced Him. You pushed Him away. And then the second step is you made yourself superior over him. I can run my life better than he can. I'm better. I know better. We make ourselves more superior to God. And then what we do is we then dehumanize God. We make him into an ogre. We make him into some racist. We make him into some some homicidal maniac and all these ideas that we come up with what God's really like because we've pushed him away. We've made ourselves superior. In order to keep that going, we actually have to dehumanize him. What does God do? He comes as a human in Jesus. Romans chapter 5, For while we were God's enemies... While, we're, while God was our enemy is another way of putting it. We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son Jesus. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Colossians 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, and because of your evil behavior, come, be reconciled to God. He's not who you think he is. He's not who you've made him out to be. I read the verses in Psalm 103. I'm going to read them at the end of the message. That's not who he is. Be reconciled. Come. So how can we change ourselves then? How do we change? Well, Look honestly at ourselves. Can we look at ourselves and be honest and courageous and look at our attitudes, our characters, our flaws, and work on them? <laughs> we sometimes think, and I think this sometimes, we sometimes think that if we don't deal with these things, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal. Hey, maybe they'll magically go away, or maybe I'll magically change in this area. But any personal issue has the great and sure potential to grow bad. You don't want that. The people you love around you don't want that, and God certainly wants to see you change for all kinds of reasons. But then we need to be honest with ourselves, and I come back again to this thing. We need to be self-aware. Self-aware. Okay. Like, can I admit to you that I sometimes get mad and angry and frustrated? I remember a couple of years back, I was meeting with a couple, trying to help them in their marriage, and I had asked this guy a question, and he started to answer, and all of a sudden, inside of me, I was getting so mad, so mad. And I figured, this is going nowhere fast. It's not good for a pastor to be mad. So I said, just, just, just a minute. He goes, yeah, but I said, just a minute. I closed my eyes. Seriously, right in the middle of the session. I closed my eyes. Took a few good deep breaths. I prayed. God, what's going on in my heart? What's going on? Talked with them. I prayed. Three minutes. This poor couple, I'm sure they were looking at me and going, what? What? said, okay. Back in the session, we had an amazing session after that. It was good. Technology. Technology gets me mad. Computers. Printers. Anybody with me on that? So a few years ago, I'll say several years ago, One of our fellow staff people would notice I was getting frustrated with something. It was probably the printer. And she says, ooh, must be Friday. Tim's getting mad. (laughs) And she'd say that a number of times. And all of a sudden, hmm. I need to be thinking about that. And I say, thank you. She knows who she is. I say, thank you, because I didn't realize it, that that's what I was doing until somebody brought me to attention. So, this past Thursday, Judy and I are golfing at Jerusalem, Manitoba. Manitoba. <laughs> Now, just so you're wondering, like, what are you doing golfing on Thursday? I'm in the office Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, all day, and Sunday morning. So, Thursday is our day off. So, we're golfing at Jerusalem, beautiful day, beautiful, having a good time, just walking along. There's three guys ahead of us, young guys, having having a great time, probably in their early 20s, something like that, having a good time. And uh, we start to catch up to them in hole number six. Doesn't matter you, to you, it's just helping me tell the story. Par three, and, uh, and then we, we finish that, and then we can, there's a walking path that we can cut through to the next fairway. But I'm hiding behind the trees because I'm listening for them to tee off. And there's three guys, so one, two, three shots. Four, five. Six shots, seven, eight, nine, like, what are they doing? So I step out from the bush, and I said, like, how many balls are you guys hitting? Oh, not enough, one of them said. (laughs) So I go back behind the tree. Ten, eleven, twelve... Like, guys, can you pick up the game? There's now somebody behind me, a, a single guy there just coming up. We, we, like, pick up your pace already. Oh, okay. I go back behind the tree. One guy comes by, totally ignores me. Next car comes by, oh, really sorry, we didn't realize, you, you know, you, you were waiting. That's okay, just enjoy your game. Tee off, hit the ball in the bush. Not very good come up to the next green, or the next tee-off box, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's a, there's a backlog. That's what was taking them so long because there was somebody in front of them. And so they were waiting, so now we're waiting for them. Can't do anything about that. And then the single guy comes up around, and he's parked there, and I said to him, I says, well, there's a backlog. I, I guess it didn't help to try to encourage the guys to pick up their game a little bit. And he says, Yeah, I heard that. (laughs) Oh, I sure hope that guy doesn't know I'm a pastor. (laughs) Oh, man. Why do I have to have self-awareness right now? This is not good. I felt horrible. I realized, oh. So, as God would work it out, I had a great shot down. It's a par-5 dog leg. Great shot down, really good. And I was just like two feet from the green on the second shot, so I was on in three, really good. And then I three-putted. <laughs> oh! Finished that, moved to hole number nine. And these guys are sitting there, waiting, because there's two groups in front of them. So I walk up to the guy. and said, guys, I am so sorry. I was so rude. I was so disrespectful to you guys. I am, I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. We just thought, you know, we, we didn't know you were ready to go. I said, it doesn't matter. I was rude and disrespectful to you. I am so sorry. Yeah, no problem. Whew. The other guy, he stayed way behind. <laughs> I was waiting for him to come at the end of the nine holes, to come to the parking lot, and he didn't. He, he, he disappeared. I thought, well, maybe he's an angel just sent to confront me. I, so I haven't been able to apologize to him at all. But see, it's looking at our lives Objectively is being self-aware, being self-aware. So then we need to sit down. That's the third one, to sit down by ourselves. What do we do when we realize we have a character issue? Something needs to change in our lives. When we realize we have an enemy we didn't know we had, or we hold disdain for someone. This is the time for self-reflection. Jonah did the right thing. He sat down. Instead of running west, he sat on the east, far away from Tarshish, as he could get. We need to sit down. Like Jonah, we need to sit quietly for a while and to be silent and to know that he is God. This is the key part of devotions and quiet time. It's not just reading the Bible. Yes, it is. It's not just praying. Yes, it is. But it's also that time when we sit there and say god what do you want to say to me what do you want to bring up to me and god and i had a very good conversation friday morning on my deck about what happened on thursday we humbly need to let god teach us what we may know already about ourselves and also what we may not know we need to look at ourselves and have self-awareness well Some might say, well, why doesn't God just yell at me then? Well, notice what God did in Jonah's life, how he tried to get a hold of his attention. Chapter 1, verse 4, God flung a powerful storm to stop him. Then he arranged, in chapter 1, verse 17, he arranged a great fish to try to stop him even more. Chapter 4, verse 6, God arranged a leafy plant to grow there to to give him rest to help him engage, maybe a quiet time to reflect. But then God also, in chapter 4, verse 7, also prepared an itty-bitty worm. I I like that. Do you see how God works? We we think that sometimes God has discipline, a one-size-fits-all. doesn't. He's got numerous, numerous ways of how he can work with us. So at one point with Jonah, it was a big fish, and then it was a itty-bitty worm. I'm waiting for the theme song. Doo-doo, 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 as you see him inch along, see a fish and a worm. God can use anything. Chapter four, verse eight, and then God sent a scorching east wind. Sometimes He needs to turn the heat up. So here's the question for all of us: Has God brought about a storm in your life? Has He brought along a fish? In your life? Has he brought along a leafy plant where he's saying, like, just rest here for a little bit. We need to talk. I want to talk to you. I want to I show you some things. I want to love you. Has God brought a little itty-bitty worm that's so annoying? Did he bring a scorching east wind in your life to expose your heart and motives? What's he doing in your life and my life? Come to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, that theme verse. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Let me read again Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins far from us as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a good father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. That's our God. Let's look at the weekly challenge. Reconcile with God. Is there something that you're holding against God. Spend time with him and get him, get to know him as he really is. Ask God, is there an enemy or someone in my life, your life, that we're holding bad feelings towards? Then pray for that person, see them as human, and make right if possible. And then ask yourself, how is God trying to get your attention? Through a storm? A big fish, a big plant, an itty-bitty worm, a scorching east wind. Spend time alone listening and say, God, what do you want to talk to me about? And then read the book of Jonah this week. Let's pray. Father, you're so gracious, so compassionate, so full of mercy, slow to anger. of unfailing love. God, thank you. And I pray, God, that you will continue to walk with us and help us and show us things in our lives. God, if there's someone here that has straight-armed you and made you into their enemy, God, I pray that they would reconcile today. And God, if we're aware of some enemies and some people that we've pushed out of our lives because of our wrong feelings, and attitudes, God, I pray that you would help us to change and to reconcile. God, draw us to you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We love you, God, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.